they went out to the members and said, hey, this is, isn't this great? Like, we're no longer investing in things that kill people and destroy. Uh, and the beneficiaries came back and we said, oh, I thought you've always been doing that. Mm. Your name was Christian Super. Like, isn't that what you've always been doing? Can't you do more? Um, and so that then sparked uh, a 15-year journey of exploring what that more might look like. Um, what does it look like to take assets that God has entrusted to us um, and deploy them not only in ways that are a, no longer against his wishes and kingdom purposes, but are actually contributing positively towards kingdom outcomes. Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact in our communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Eric Most, president of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountain Region. I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert, VP on our team. Lori, how are you doing today? It's a new year. It's a great time for new opportunities. I love it. Well, yes, it is. In today's episode, we have the privilege of introducing you to Tim McCready. He is a seasoned expert in responsible and impact investment, renowned for his award-winning portfolios and world-class thought leadership. With a global footprint, Tim has deep experience with impact, responsible, and sustainable investing, building portfolios to consistently deliver robust financial, social, and environmental performance. Tim was previously the chief investment officer at Christian Super, an Australian pension fund, and is now serves as head of global advisory for Brightlight, a group that works with value-based investors to help them integrate their values into their portfolios. Tim has worked in pension and investment markets for over 20 years and has studied both investments and theology. His driving passion lies, lies in leveraging investment capital for transformative change, driving positive social and environmental outcomes alongside financial returns. Tim, welcome. Thank you for being here. Um, we're going to jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, um, how you came to know Christ and your family today. That's a lot of questions at first. Yeah, thanks, Eric. We can we can dive in. So I had the joy and privilege of being born into uh, a Christian family. Uh, my dad uh, is a pastor, still is a pastor in Australia today. Um, and so we were taught uh, what it looked like to love and serve Jesus from a very young age. Um, I remember at a young age realizing that that needed to be personal, that uh, it wasn't just a case of, well, my family loves Jesus, so that's good enough. It, it needs to be a personal commitment. And so uh, at the age of five, my earliest memory is is actually giving my life to Jesus, um, recognizing that that had to be a personal relationship. Now, of course, uh, as a five-year-old, you really under, understand uh, a little of, um, of the breadth of what our faith looks like. And so that has worked itself out um, as, as I've grown and um, learned to love Jesus more. Um, uh, when I was 12, we moved to the mission field. Um, so uh, my dad had accepted a role in teaching theology uh, at a Bible college in Papua New Guinea. Um, and so we, uh, the whole family, myself, my sister and my parents, uh, we moved to Papua New Guinea and, and lived there for five years on the mission field, uh, which was a really formative experience um, in what it looked like to put faith into action, um, what it looked like to go uh, to a different place, uh, and in particular what it meant to see different culture and how different people lived um, and the reality that not everyone lives as we, most of us do in the West. Um, uh, there are good things about that. There are hard things about that. But certainly we saw people in very different economic situations to our own. Um, I returned to Australia uh, at the age of 17 to start college, um, moved out of home, uh, which is actually unusual for Australians at that age. Um, most 
uh, Australian college students continue to live with their parents. Um, but because mine had intended to go back to the mission field, uh, but ended up living in a very different part of Australia, um, I, I lived with my grandparents uh, and got to know them, which was wonderful. Um, but part of my drive of going to college was this desire to be involved in God's work. Um, the uh, I chose to study actuarial studies um, partly because I knew it would open doors into close countries um, if God called me to the mission field. Um, uh, as it's turned out, um, God called me to a different mission field. I no longer live in Sydney. I live here in Colorado with uh, my wife and our two kids. We relocated to the US from Australia uh, in 2022 and uh, kind of settling in uh, to everything the Rocky Mountains has to offer. I do think you did come to a mission field, so thank you for coming here. Um, we we had the privilege of choosing um, where in the US we wanted to live. Um, I, I relocated for my work, which we'll get into, but uh, essentially the requirements were find a city with a good airport that can get you anywhere in the country within a reasonable time frame. Um, and we looked at lots of cities. There's a lot of beautiful places in the US, but um, yeah, there's a lot to love here uh, about Colorado, about the Rocky Mountains, um, and certainly different challenges from a faith perspective to what we've experienced in Sydney. It's a different cultural context. It's a different economic context. Um, the challenges the churches face here uh, echo many of the challenges for churches in Australia, but they have their different expressions and reflections. That's great. Now, Tim, you uh, you started your uh, your career in the insurance uh, actuarial field with Aon. Uh, we have that as, as a background. I was in the insurance industry as well on, the, on different side of the table. But um, how were you introduced to impact investing uh, and, um, and, and, and where did that get started? Yeah, so I, I had started working with Aon before I finished college. Um, I needed to earn an income uh, coming from a missionary family that kind of wasn't the uh, that needed to be revenue coming into the um, uh, into the household so that I could afford to eat and live. Um, and I loved the work. Uh, I was assigned into the pensions division uh, and I spent a lot of time working with defined benefit pension plans. So plans where an employer has committed to pay a specific amount of money to an employee uh, upon their retirement. Um, and at the time in Australia, we were closing down a lot of those plans, converting them into defined contribution plans that look a lot like 401ks here in the US. Um, and I loved the technical aspects of the work. I loved the team I worked with. I was privileged to work with a team with several other Christians in it, uh, which is unusual in financial services in Australia. Um, and I, I just loved everything that I was doing. But um, after I'd been doing it for about four years, I, I, I sensed a disconnect between this sense of I, I went to college um, and specifically studied in order to be able to serve God wherever he wanted me to serve. Um, and much as I love this job and love this work and love who I'm working with, it doesn't seem to be doing much in terms of fulfilling that purpose. Um, and in the absence of feeling a call to the mission field, um, I started to think about Christian education uh, as a way of serving God uh, and using my gifts. Um, I was looking at becoming a high school uh, economics teacher. Um, but through a series of God-ordained coincidences, um, I ended up being approached by Christian Super, um, an Australian pension fund, uh, who said, no, don't, don't, don't go um, kind of back to college to become a teacher. Why don't you use the skills and experience that you've got? Um, they, their board had just decided that they wanted to go all in on integrating their faith into their investment portfolio, and they had very little idea what that meant. Uh, and so they decided to hire me as a 23-year-old to work that out for them. Wow. And so, uh, describe the work of um, Christian Super. Like, who's the uh, like? 
are these believers? Is the word Christian um, purposeful in the name of the of the fund? So, okay, so it's believers, their pension fund, um, but it wasn't currently invested in faith-aligned type of investments at all. And so that was some of the work that the early work that you did. That's exactly right. So it, it is a, a pension fund that was started in the eighties. Um, many pension funds launched in Australia in the eighties uh, when mandatory contributions to a pension account became uh, law in Australia. Uh, and so even today, uh, every Australian employee has to contribute twelve percent of their salary into a, uh, a a pension fund. So in the U.S., pension funds are usually tied to your employer, and this sounds like employees get to pick. That's exactly right. So in Australia, employees get to pick. Uh, there's about 80 complying pension funds, uh, and they can choose from any of them. Um, many pension funds actually launched out of individual industries. So uh, in Australia today, there's a fund for health workers, there's a fund for retail workers, there's a fund for pilots. Um, uh, Christian Super started out as the fund for teachers in Christian schools um, and ended up merging with the retirement fund for various church denominations, the Baptist fund, the Church of Christ fund, um, to, to become this kind of holistic Christian entity that was um, the leading choice for uh, Christians wanting to um, invest with a faith-based organization in Australia. Uh, and so they had started in the 80s. Um, so by the time I joined, the fund had been going for 20 years. Um, but they'd always been too small to do anything other than put their money where everyone else was putting their money. Um, and they had just, uh, in the early 2000s, reached a point where um, the advisors that they were working with said, hey, you've probably got enough assets. This was about uh, $180 million Australian um, at the time, so $120, $130 million US. Uh, you've probably got enough assets now to start actually making some decisions about where these assets are invested. Um, and so that started with some really basic conversations around, well, where are the companies that are killing, harming, destroying human flourishing? Uh, and how do we divest out of those companies? But as we went out to the beneficiaries, um, by the time I, I left to 30,000 Australians entrusting Christian Super with their retirement savings, uh, about $1.8 billion Australians, so about $1.3 billion US, um, they went out to the members and said, hey, this is, isn't this great? Like we're no longer investing in things that kill people and destroy. Uh, and the beneficiaries came back and we said, oh, we thought you'd always been doing that. Your name was Christian Super. Like, isn't that what you've always been doing? Can't you do more? Um, and so that then sparked uh, a 15-year journey of exploring what that more might look like. Um, what does it look like to take assets that God has entrusted to us um, and deploy them not only in ways that are ag no longer against his wishes and kingdom purposes, but are actually contributing positively towards kingdom outcomes? Um, uh, and that was a, a wonderful journey that we got to go on um, as, as one of the first organizations in the world, larger organizations in the world, investing capital to really wrestle with that question in an environment where it was possible to do positive things and to deploy capital for impact. Yeah. So the initially you guys had layered in a negative screen effectively. Yeah. We, 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 we think about BRI, biblical responsible investing, and we, we talk about screens, right? That's a negative screen. And now you've actually then layered in a positive screen and say, no, like we want to, we want to invest in things that are, that, that, that are kingdom promoting that are, that are doing that. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with Matt Munson not too long ago with Sovereign's Capital and, and I was talking about, I said, Hey, it's, it's fun to be in this time, uh, that we live in where we're in like the infancy stages of impact investing. And, uh, Matt said, uh, kind of laughing at me and he says, Eric, uh, we're not even in the pre embryotic state. Honestly, like if you think of the total invested capital in the world or even just here in the West, 
less than 0.04% of that is invested in like kingdom-minded organizations like that. So because we're not even at the infancy stage yet. Um, but frankly, you were at a point that was even before that. And so how was sourcing deals? How was how 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 did that work? Did and does that influence the work that you did do today with um, with Brightlight? Yeah. So in the early days, there, there was no field of Christian investing. Um, there was an emerging broader impact investing movement that you've alluded to um, that had very few kind of Christian institutional investors or organizations represented in it. Uh, and so we often found ourselves in engaging in that community as um, the lone kind of public Christian voice in in the room, which gave us some really neat opportunities um, as we started to win awards for the portfolios we were designing um, to kind of get up on global stages and say, hey, the reason we do this is because we think all people are made equally um, given dignity in God's image. Um, uh, but we started in that impact investment community in investing in things like microfinance uh, and regenerative agriculture um, and health and education. Uh, and we'd been doing that for several years uh, before we came across Sovereign's Capital um, as they were raising their first fund. Um, and we made what for us was a very small investment into their first fund. What for them was uh, probably about 10 to 15% of their portfolio at the time because um, we wanted to see what this looked like. We just hadn't ever seen before this opportunity to bring the faith directly to bear. We'd always seen it as, well, the kinds of things that the master would have us do with the money is invest in things that show love and dignity and care to the master's creation Um as opposed to, hey, here's a neat opportunity to invest specifically in Christian-driven opportunities. Uh, and so we did that with Sovereign's Capital. We also uh, had the opportunity to support a couple of Christian organizations as they were developing Australia's first social impact bonds um, that were seeking to uh, support kids exiting the foster care system. Um, and so we started to be able to bring our faith more directly to bear in in those parts of the portfolio. And that's what I spend most of my time doing today with, with Bright Light. We, uh, we took that team that we built over 15 years at Christian Super. Um, we spun them out into a separate organization so that we could work not just with Christian Super, but with other, other organizations. Uh, we ended up with clients here in the US, which is, which is what has brought me here. Um, but today, yeah, I, I spend my day-to-day -day life thinking through how do we help values-based and particularly faith-based organizations, families, um, and individuals think through what it is that their portfolio can achieve. Everything from that BRI negative screening uh, all the way through to um, people, some of whom I know have been previous guests on this podcast, who are doing some really amazingly cool stuff with what God has entrusted to them. Yeah. Uh, you know, so often um, we here in the West, I think, uh, think that we are like leaders of the world. And uh, uh, I love when we're humbled by that and to hear that, the work of Christian Schuper 20 years ago was already focused on this. Um, you uh, you come from a perspective, yes, living here in the in the West now, um, but from Australia and a global footprint, which you talked about in your in your introduction. You know, would you even just share a little bit more about the global effort of impact investing and mm -hmm. um, and 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 some of these other aspects? Um, you even talked about the environmental impact, and and so ESG we know has a has a has a it can have a really bad connotation, and yet we are also commanded to be faithful stewards of God's creation mm. as believers. And so maybe unpack some of the the, the global efforts that's going on, um, some things that you're excited about, and uh, and and yeah, just sh share, share along those lines. Yeah. So 
uh, starting with the broader impact investing community, there's some really cool stuff happening. Um, just some of the opportunities that I've seen come across my desk in, in the last six months, uh, a fund that is investing in entrepreneurs coming out of refugees um, who've moved internally, internally displaced people within on the continent of Africa. Um, often um, we fail to recognize the inherent uh skills that refugees bring. We see them as people made in God's image. We rightly have compassion and care for them, uh, but we forget that often they had deep qualifications and skills in their own country, um, and they don't need to just be taxi drivers and cleaners. They can um, uh, they can use the skills that God's given them in a, a range of different ways. And so um, I was just looking at a fund uh, early this week that is investing in businesses started by refugees in communities in Africa. Um, uh, on a similar vein, we're seeing funds that are providing housing um, and language learning opportunities for displaced peoples. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff happening around displaced people. Um, there's a whole heap of uh, opportunities developing, um, particularly on the continent of Africa, um, around sustainable economic models that don't rely on continued aid. Um, and you're seeing it in sustainable agriculture. You're seeing it in um, small business entrepreneurship. Uh, Taxi services uh, like Uber equivalents, um, technology. There's there's an emerging class in Africa of tech enabled jobs, um, where people are working in Nigeria, in Lagos, or in Ghana, or in Nairobi, in Kenya, um, for Western corporations, um, but doing a bunch of work that can be done from anywhere in the world. Uh, and so we see investments in those kinds of things. Um, in Asia, there's still a really strong and flourishing microfinance community that is broadening beyond just kind of very small loans into, well, how do we turn these businesses into companies that employ 10, 15, 20, 50 people that create these sustainable jobs? Um, one of the things I think we take for granted in the West is the ability uh, or the presence of large corporations that are going to hire a bunch of people um, in a lot of the world, Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia in particular, um, people don't have jobs unless small businesses create those jobs. And so it's really exciting to be able to invest in those small businesses. Um, we're seeing a lot of opportunities around creation care. And, and that, uh, as you've alluded to, Eric, um, the, the rise of ESG investing has, for many, particularly here in the US, um, kind of muddied the waters as to what values-based investing looks like. Uh, for me, I like to take a step back and say, well, as, as believers, what is it that we care about? We care about the dignity of all people made in God's image. And there are many... Uh, social impact investments that are inherently directly focused on improving dignity and well-being and flourishing. Um, we care about God's creation. Uh, it testifies to his glory. Um, it testifies his majesty and power. It also um, is the means that he's given us for sustaining ourselves um, on this planet. Uh, and so uh, we see a lot of investments in uh, things that are using more responsibly and appropriately the resources of creation. And, and of course, there's parts of that that Christians are going to struggle with um, in particular types of social and environmental investments from ESG. But we do find that when we take a step back and we say, um, let's find the positive investments that are making a difference. There's a lot of areas of commonality um, as opposed to where much of the debate is often focused uh, today uh, around kind of the individual actions of individual companies and um, exercising our, our um, influence at uh, in AGMs and proxy votes. Uh, I think those things are important. We do a bunch of work in that area. Um, but we do find that people get much more excited and inspired 
um, about the the really positive things that can be done both here in this country and uh, around the world. Those are some things that are really encouraging of that you can find the commonalities and you can find the investments that can really help because the areas of the world that you just mentioned are a lot of those third world countries that are really still needing to develop because there aren't those big companies there um, and small businesses often an answer to bring them in. What areas are you concerned about in this space of impact investing? So I think in many ways, the faith-driven, faith-based investing movement is is following a similar trajectory to the impact investing movement, um, but about 10 or 15 years behind. Um, and so one of the things that we have a great window into is the challenges that we're going to face. Uh, there's there's a couple of things that, um, that worry me that uh, I see all of us who are involved in the movement as having a responsibility to kind of continue to work towards. A few years ago in the impact investing movement, you started to get a lot of washing, green washing, white washing, blue washing, all sorts of colors for it. Um, but uh, investments that were claiming to have deep and meaningful impact. But when you actually did the work and you tracked back and you tried to work out, well, what difference did this investment make? Uh, it, it was marginal if, if best. And the reason that happened is because the term impact investing became used widely in the community. Um, it became a good little marketing, marketing label to put on a product. Um, and so people started using it because it worked. It sold investment products. Um, and I can see that same thing starting to happen in the, in the faith investing community. The wonderful thing is the vast majority of faith-based investing products out there today are genuinely faith-driven and seeking to achieve something um, in terms of kingdom purposes, whether that's spiritual impact or social impact. Uh, but we are starting to see products that are using the faith-based label, using the language of faith investing, and when we drill into them, have very little substance when it comes to what they're actually doing that might be different from what um, any other investment might be looking like. And so the integrity of what we've been called to do, of making sure that if we're using the master's language and we're using the master's money, that we're actually doing what the master would have us do, uh, I think is a challenge that is coming at us um, and and worries me. Um, the, the second thing is, uh, I think, as our ability to measure the impact of these investments improves, um, we're able to track some really cool and exciting things that are happening. But we haven't yet, as a Christian community, had that wrestle of what is the best way of using the master's money here? Is it investing? Is it giving it away? Um, is it a combination of the two? Um, and uh, I know one of the uh, your previous guests kind of touched on this, but we're good as Christians at thinking about how do I maximize return um, in an investment portfolio? We're good at thinking about how do I maximize the impact that I have through the the dollars that I'm giving away? We're not necessarily great at wrestling with those two tensions together and saying, well, what if the best way of doing both of those sometimes was to accept a lower investment return to achieve impact that I could never otherwise achieve? And And the importance of that conversation and our ability to have that conversation well in a way that recognizes individual calling, um, in a way that allows for the spirit to move and for God to place certain things on people's hearts, um, I think is really critical to how this develops over the next three to five years. Um, and I'm excited about that, but also it, it worries me. We as Christians every day have a responsibility to do our due diligence because there are going to be, is it sheep's and wolves clothing? And we have to be wise in that space of being able to look deeper and not just see the surface and be able to ask some of those questions. And I think each one of us owns that. And as we often talk about at NCF, we're all on journeys too. And we do learn as we go through some different things. And God does ask each of us to have a different response 
to some of these at different stages of our life and for different reasons. And I think that that's what we want to do is encourage people to ask the questions, to look at what they're doing. And as you said, Tim, to ask God, what do you want us to do? Because we may be in a phase that we want to do impact investing. We may be in a phase where we want to be granting the money. And that may change from, you know, hopefully not day to day, but throughout our time of being stewards of God's resources. One of the things I really had to wrestle kind of about five years into working for a pension fund, I started to have this existential question of, is is this a good thing, right? Like as Christians, we believe that God owns our future. Um, he has given us promises that he will provide. Not always, he doesn't promise he'll provide in the way that we want him to, but he promises that he'll provide what we need. Um, is all I'm doing here helping Christians to save for retirement in a way that isn't enabling them to trust their 401k balance instead of their creator. Um, I I have similar worries at times about a faith-driven investing. I I am all in on using the master's money well, and I think faith-driven investing is part of that. But if we start to use that as um, an excuse to do faith-driven investing or impact investing, when what the master really is asking us to do is give that money away, Mm. then that's not obedience either. And so this this calling piece becomes really important. When when I first started on this journey, I thought my job was to find the one investment portfolio that would most please the master and that we would find that investment portfolio and then it would be done. But in reality, it's just this constant journey of understanding context. What is not only what is possible, but what God's call is on a Christian pension fund is different to someone who has an NCF account or someone who's looking at their everyday spending or um, God puts us all in different situations and gives us different passions and callings. And I think that's a big part of the beauty of the Christian life is we get to play in this field of what God has trusted to us. But it's also the responsibility because he doesn't say, go to that corner of the field and do this. He invites us on this journey with him. And that's a really special part of, I think, what's happening in this faith investing community right now. Yeah, I th- think back to uh, conversation, so many conversations actually that we've had over this uh, uh, this past year. Um, Alan Barnhart is is quick to say, uh, we should ask the master how we should be stewarding his resources. Um, you know, they're his resources. And so there's a place for, there's absolutely a place for, for charitably giving. There's a place for um, investing. There's, uh, and, and, not, and both our charitable capital or our private capital. Um, and so, yeah, ask the master uh, is, is, I think, a, a good call. And far too often, um, uh, I know that, that I just kind of drive forward and, and, and might not slow down enough to ask the master how I should be stewarding it. Also think about um, Don Simmons, and and he talked about the need for charitable capital to 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 begin movements sometimes. And so, uh, as you alluded to the uh, the microfinance and microloan uh, kind of world, he says that was initially started um, totally with charitable capital, where people say, "Hey, I'm willing to take no return, but just use this capital that I have uh, that that I've been entrusted in a way that's going to create human flourishing." And 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 now. Uh, microfinance has become something that's investable in the private markets. And so that has grown a long way. It's, it's become self-sustained um, in a lot of places around the world. There's still organizations like Hope International doing amazing work where, mm-hmm. where there's not the infrastructure of microfinancing in a, in a, in a commercial manner yet. Um, it, it's absolutely vital. And then with Greg Lernahan talking about um, the place of, of asking the Lord, like, well, maybe – Maybe he's calling us to take a concessionary return to see significantly greater impact. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we've uh, so often been hardwired with maximizing returns. 
And yet often I think we are nearsighted in thinking that by maximizing re- returns, we're thinking only about the the material return mm. and not the eternal return that's that's involved there. And so um, yeah, this conversation is great of just recalling those different conversations and kind of bringing things to a head. So really appreciate that. I think it it comes out in scripture as well. You, you look at the way that Jesus engages with Zacchaeus mm. and you compare that to the way he engages with the rich ruler. In, in both cases, what Jesus is after is this person's heart, mm. right? Um, and he sees into their heart and he knows that riches are just such a barrier for the, for the rich young ruler that he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, the barrier that's stopping you is all of your possessions. You need to get rid of everything. Um, for Zacchaeus, it was much more about restoring relationships and restitution for the people that he had wronged in order to uh, obtain the wealth that he had um, as alongside the generosity. But he didn't say to Zacchaeus, give it all away and then come follow me. He, Zacchaeus voluntarily said, if I've wronged anyone, I'll pay them back and then I'll, I'll, I'll give away. That calling looks different um, for different people and um, yeah, it's it's been, I mean, wonderful to listen to those stories as well of what that's looked like, like in Greg's life or in Don's life or in Rachel's life and Alan, yeah, and others. But Tim, you brought the point exactly back is it's all about God wanting our heart and money is just one of those things that can be a hurdle in the way to our hearts. Because mm. truly it's the, are we being obedient to what God's calling us to do? And that's not prescriptive exactly for any of us to do to mirror each other. Mm. Um, so I think that is a great point. So thank you for that example. Tim, you're, you really are uh, an expert as it relates to impact investing, faith-driven investing, th- this movement. And so I, I wonder if you have some tools, some resources that you'd point people who are trying to understand more about faith-driven investing, um, uh, the stewardship of all the capital that God's entrusted them, both their charitable and their private capital. Uh, any resources, things that you'd point people to? Yeah. So, I mean, a great place to look at the faith-driven investing uh, side of things is the faith-driven investing, uh, faith-driven investor podcast series website. Um, and then there's a marketplace of opportunities as well that is available to accredited investors. So people with larger uh, amounts that they can invest. Uh, of course, NCF itself counts as an accredited investor. And so I know that's a conversation you have with uh, many of the people you work with. Um, so I'd, I'd look there. We at Brightlight, we publish uh, research on the uh, faith-based investing environment and landscape. Uh, and so we published earlier this year something that was just trying to show the size and the scale of the market um, of people who are interested in investing in alignment with their faith. Um, and, uh, and so I'd certainly encourage people to come and talk to us uh, as well on a whole range of things. I mean, we don't just publish research. We we do that due diligence into uh, the financial and the impact side of the, of the products that are out there. We uh, we do a lot of engagement and advocacy with publicly traded companies um, on ways we think that they could more uh, honor the image of God in their employees and their customers and so forth. And then there's a, a bunch of just really good books. I, I think anything that is helping us to engage with um, what the master would do with what he's entrusted to us, um, whether it's a, a resource that is specifically about impact investing or whether it's just something that's helping us to think through, how do we how do we spend, how do we give, how do we save in ways that honor the master. I mean, I'm thinking books like Master Your Money by um, Ron and Michael Blue. Um, I, uh, along with Gary Hogue, who's also here in Denver, mm-hmm. uh, edited uh, a book, um, Purposeful Living, Financial Wisdom for All of Life, a few years ago, which just gathered kind of 40 different perspectives on what it means to honor God with what we're um, saving, giving, spending. Um, so I'd, I'd start with places like that. And then for the broader impact investing community, 
Um, I mean, the Global Impact Investing Network uh, is a secular organization, but publishes some really good case studies and research on what's happening in the impact investing community. Um, some things that, although they may not be being done in the name of Jesus, um, have some really cool outcomes uh, in terms of uh, kingdom type benefits, seeing people flourish. And sometimes you can kind of trace through these and see the believers who are sitting behind a lot of these things that are happening even in the secular um, marketplace. So that's a few different places that listeners can go. That's great. We'll uh, link many of those into our show notes so you can go and, and take a look at some of these yourselves. I didn't I didn't know you did that work with uh, Gary Hogue. So he's a, a, a good friend and appreciate his work as well as the generosity monk. Um, you know, many of our listeners might know about philanthropic advisors. These are these are groups that help people with their charitable giving and and identifying organizations, things like that. Um, I, I often describe Brightlight uh, in the work that you do as that, as a as a philanthropic advisor, if you will, but focused on faith-driven investing and things like that. Is that a good description if people are trying to create a lens of understanding of, of the work that you do today? Absolutely. Um, that's our, our, our job is helping people take that next step, whatever it is that God's calling them to do with their investment portfolio, and, and then understanding the impact that that's having mm -hmm. so that they can have confidence um, that the decisions they're making are having the kind of uh, effect on the world um, on in terms of advancing the kingdom that they're hoping to. Um, and so our work looks really varied. Sometimes that's writing an investment policy statement. Sometimes that's uh, us sitting down with a family earlier this week, wrestling through their public equities portfolio and what it is that they could do to have more impact and more faith alignment in that part of their portfolio. It, it's really interesting and varied work, but at its crux, it all gets to this question of um, advising people how to build portfolios that honor the calling that God's given mm -hmm. them. If folks have questions about how they can um, best get in contact with you, can you share that with our listeners today? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the first thing to say is, like, I love to, uh, a big part of my calling, I think, is to just do whatever is helping people to move forward in this space. And so, firstly, would love to engage with questions. Um, you can have a look at our website, uh, which is brightlightimpact.us, uh, or you can reach out to me, um, uh, Tim McCready at uh, brightlightimpact.us. Um, to get the spelling of McCready, you might need to kind of look at the episode uh, summary. Um, but yeah, uh, a website and email uh, is probably the best way to go. Um, and then, yeah, people can find the things that we're publishing on that website as well. Tim, it's been great having you. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, and sharing with us and sharing your expertise and your your global um, uh, footprint that that you get to see other parts of the corners of the world and, and the work that God is doing in and through um, faithful stewards. And so um, we we long for we long for ourselves. We long for those listening on the show that to be faithful stewards and what God has entrusted to them. So on the Generosity Now podcast, we do seek to inspire, equip, and hopefully you've done some equipping today and connect our listeners with generous uh, for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. Uh, for more information on us, please check us out online at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains and generositynow.org. Go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share it to your network. And today we have a doxology coming from Lori Bossert from the book of... Second Corinthians, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Yes and amen. Hey, thank amen. you so much, Tim. Thanks, sir. Thanks, Larry.